Kamado! episode of split the difference i'm your host jesse and i'm here tonight with seth hello and aaron why hello there friends <laughs> it took you a little while there <laughs> yeah and brandon howdy and a very special guest a friend of mine out from the west coast comic book writer joshua dysart hey yeah and yep. <laughs> i asked josh to come on this episode because i'm like hey you really love movies why don't you go ahead and just you know, let's just talk about some stuff for a little while, just to take our mind off some things. Yes. So, oh, is that my cue? Yes. There was silence. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 And when I asked Josh, he said, here's four of my favorite movies right now. Uh, why don't you go ahead and pick one that's uh, that you really want to talk about? And one of his favorites on Letterboxd right now is Harakiri, the original 1962 film Harakiri. And I said, let's talk about that one. So we will be discussing the original Kobayashi 1962 Harakiri versus the 2012, technically 2011, remake of Harakiri, Death of a Samurai by Takashi Miike. To start out, we're going to discuss the original, directed by, is it Masako or Mas... Oh, God, I can never remember his name. Masaki Kobayashi, that's it. I was going to say Masayo, I don't know why. Uh, Basaki Kobayashi's original film, Harakiri. Josh, what do you absolutely love about this film? Oh, man. I knew that starting was going to be a problem. Uh, there's so <laughs> much to talk about. Um, it's, it's so painfully aesthetically precise, but it's at the same time so incredibly humanist. And it's really difficult, I think, to get both of those things into a movie at once, and this is probably the best example of that in in I I would say in all of global cinema. So I really love that. And um, you know Kobayashi Masaki, uh, he he was a famously a conscientious objector during World War II um, against the Japanese army, um, and was I believe he was imprisoned for it. He refused to fight. He refused to take rank. And you see in all of his films this detesting of systems that suppress the human kindness. And, um, mm. and Harakiri is probably his greatest example of that. Although he mm. made many wonderful films, uh, along that vein. So mm -hmm. that's my, that's my starting gun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of those films. I'd seen this back when I was in college and part of, um, uh, I believe it was uh, Asian Cinema Studies. It was this, and it was Akira Kurosawa. Uh, there was sure. many others as well. Ozu. Um, but, mm -hmm, like, yes. And, uh, and I remember watching it, and I t at the time, I, I didn't quite appreciate it because I was like, I was young. I was, you know, not bright. But as time <laughs> went on, and uh, as I've gotten older, 
I don't know if I necessarily say wiser, but older, I've come <laughs> to appreciate this film a lot more. And watching this now, I'm like, this is a masterpiece. This is a this is probably a perfect film, and in, in my opinion, I've always mm. said there's like there's only a handful of perfect films, but I would put this one up there as a perfect film. There's mm. almost nothing to complain about. Um, Brandon, what about you? Uh, when you were watching this the other night? Uh, yeah, so um, as expected, it was um, visually stunning. I, I feel like uh, when a lot of people think of black and white films, they don't really necessarily think of black and white films in scope widescreen. I think when it's done right, it looks great, and uh, this is uh, certainly a perfect example of that. And I feel like the storytelling was pretty much um, on target in regards to uh, the pacing, the amount of time between uh, present day and the flashbacks. Uh, something that wasn't quite as uh, tight in the remake, but obviously we'll get to that later. And um, yeah, it's interesting because I only know so much about uh, Kobayashi compared to, of course, Kurosawa, because when you hear Japanese cinema, the first thing you think of is Kurosawa. But uh, yeah, it definitely uh, had similar vibes, but also unique enough that it didn't feel like um, entirely like one of his films. And it, this is one I heard of for a while. In fact, I... I blind bought it years ago because uh, at one point I was trying to uh, grab all the films that were on the IMDb Top 250. Granted, that's a list that changes virtually on a daily basis. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, I think it's actually gone up. I want to say it's like number 38 or something. It's it's way up there. Um, so I already that's had a copy. Modern audiences as well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is this is one I've been meaning to see for uh, to see for a while. And um, yeah, I can I can definitely see why it has uh, such high praise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, what about you? I think one of my favorite things about this was just that, you know, for a, you know, when you have a, a slower paced film, you really need to make it count on every frame. And I love just the thought that was put into every single frame of this film. Like, it is clear that it was very deliberate and like the the use of of lines and to like really make characters look like they're boxed in and you have these scenes where all of the samurai are sitting around and you know a couple of them move but everybody still stays in frame and it's like you know that they had to like do a lot of planning to get that to happen like I really love just all of the attention to detail that was put in to the movie and you know I, I really one of the things that I, I think about is would this is is there any way that it could be better if it was in color because i think it really exemplifies what is brilliant about black and white cinema i mm -hmm. think that the the samurai look so haggard and worn down and tired in in the original and that's just not they're they're all like clean and like even the even these samurai that are supposed to be like down on their luck they're just like okay slightly disheveled i i feel like Black and white conveys remake, right? so much. Yes. You're referring to the remake, right? Yeah. 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 We'll, so we'll I feel like the, the black and white <laughs> of the original just conveys so much. And I, I, I feel like that was just uh, so good. Yeah. That's mm. my thoughts. Mm. Yeah. Lots of uh, uh, perfect uh, examples of golden ratio throughout this film, mm -hmm. which is a very difficult yes. thing to do. Yes. I, I love seeing that in film. And the sets and, were uh, great. 
Oh God, so good. And Seth, uh, you you really were interested in seeing it because this is your first time watching it, and you're also on a samurai kick as you're playing Ghost of Tsushima right now. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because now I can tag it in the episode later. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that game has just been like my top play since it came out, and. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it, the game it openly quotes, uh, you know, Kurosawa films. There's a Kurosawa mode where you can play with like right. the the audio shifted to sound like it's on a projector and like it's all in black and white. But the themes in this movie are way more adhered to what happens in Ghost of Tsushima. And so watching this, I mean, and also background, my dad loves westerns, and so like I've been watching westerns since before I could speak. Falling into this movie was like like falling into a, like a childhood blanket. It like it felt so familiar, but it also was like it was grabbing me way more than any western ever has because, like you guys are saying, it's so meticulous in everything that I just like I, I had to pause it a couple times because I knew if I had to look away from it, I was going to miss something, and I didn't want to. And you know, mm. active household sometimes you have to pause things and just oh boy, that was what an experience. I loved mm. it. Yeah, the saying that every single uh, shot in a film has to either move the story forward or the characters forward. This film does both perfectly with mm-hmm. every single shot. Mm-hmm. It, it truly does. Uh, it's a prime example of how you can do so much with so little. Because most of this movie is people just kind of sitting around in, yeah. in rooms. It's, there's not a lot of action. It's a lot of people just sort of just just talking. But it's incredibly satisfying to just watch them just have a discussion. And you, you can just see, I mean, I, I, as much as I don't want to do this, but we kind of have to, the political aspect of the film. Mm. The fact that the the heads of the, uh, the, the palace that they are at. E.E., yes, the, the temp, that, that palace, they are the main... Uh, what's the uh, what's the head? Uh, what's the guy's name at the top? I'm sorry, I'm b- terrible with names. Who is um the lead samurai that is in charge of the palace while the uh, emperor is away? Oh, the uh, da, da, what's oh, hold on? Yeah, uh, <laughs> son I, of a, can, I only forgot I'm, it because you it, forgot was it. Was it the uh, Jinai Chijiwa? Uh, no, uh, uh, no, no Chijiwa was I, the first one um, to to kill himself. No, you're thinking of um, no, no, uh, that was, Kag- that was Kagu, Matome. senior retainer. Yeah, Kag- Kagu. Kagu, yes, yeah. Kagu, yes. You, well, he, he, and many others are seated slightly above our main character Hanshiro, who is on the ground on his knees before uh, like on, them. On his in his like suicide square. In his suicide <laughs> like, pose, you couldn't yeah, be any more. Yes. You couldn't be defer yes. power anymore. I mean, yes. uh, I, yeah. Go ahead. Oh god. It, it, I it want to say the idea, the idea of you know of maintaining honor within the samurai code. You know, die for your country, die for the upper upper class, die for this social caste. Mm-hmm. Like, it, and it's just, it's such a bullshit sentiment because, like, <laughs> like it, to to those that don't know, when you if you are ever to become a ronin, were you ever to become one, you are basically the lowest class of society. If you had no master, you were essentially at the lowest tier of the social rung. And it was it was a very difficult life. You were lucky if you owned property. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's uh to have an individual like that saying, Oh, but your honor means more than anything. I think he would just like to just have a, a decent life. Like <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea of honor for these people that really don't care 
and it, it this the film is almost like outright criticizing the social the the samurai code yeah the, yeah well, well I, this I just, is I, where oh my god i just had a i just had a brain blast hmm. the jedi were awful <laughs> oh damn it <laughs> thank thank you ryan johnson uh this is where you know comparisons to kurosawa are interesting but also a little superficial i love kurosawa but mm. kurosawa is oddly conservative right and i don't mean mm. that in the way we define these things uh, in american politics but he's he believes in systems he believes in human kindness. He believes that, um, like the that the police in high and low are going to do their jobs. That the doctor is going to, you know, it, we can go through all his movies and see how often he believes in how constructs work, right? But um, yeah. Hirakiri and uh, Kobayashi Masaki are more modern, and this is why I think modern audiences continue to respond to this movie and it only grows in popularity. He is more modern in that he is very cynical of systems that dehumanize people. Um, you know, and, and, and he's really ahead of his time in that. Um, and this goes back to, I mean, I think it's really important that we, we bring up how, you know, he was, you know, how he was a conscientious objector during World War II. You just see it again and again in his work. And in this way, he he's a much more modern thinker, I think, than Kurosawa. And that's why this film feels a little punk rock in a way that maybe <laughs> maybe only Yojimbo uh, or maybe the back half of High and Low of Kurosawa feels punk rock. You know, um, it's not that Kurosawa couldn't get there. It's that, it's that Kobayashi was a, a younger, kind of more interested person and then you're mm. talking about every every frame uh is so beautiful you know this was shot by yoshio uh miyajima and he was a, a go-to dp for kobayashi he you know he shot samurai rebellion which is fucking um can we curse oh yes oh yeah okay. Okay. You, awesome. you go right Great. ahead <laughs> Which is fucking beautiful, extraordinarily beautiful film. I still prefer this one better, but Samurai Rebellion is is amazing. Uh, and he also shot The Human Condition, which was uh, Kobayashi's ten and a half hour film about oh, yeah. you know. About <laughs> I saw his, that was oh, on Crit- I saw that was on Criterion Channel, and I was like ten and a half hours. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've never seen it. I will. I will brave it one day. But uh, well, it, that is, I mean, it, that is it's I, gorgeous, <laughs> and it, and oh, it's yeah, just I, like. I, yeah, it's his ultimate humanist screed against all. It, it, I mean, it's basically the same thing as this, except it has a lot to do with his own personal experience in World War II, uh, even mm. though it's it's based on somebody else's novel. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to bring up real quick. I'm sorry if I'm talking too much, but you know, you had mentioned um, somebody mentioned how comforted, comforting they find the Western because they grew up with it, and you mm. know, there's obviously this deep communication that happens. Um, structurally and formally between the Western, the samurai film, the Wujia film and the Austern, they sort of mm. have been communicating, uh, and in, in, inspiring each other since John Ford, you know, was making me since early John Ford's films. So that's why this feels so comfortable to a person who really loves Western films. Um, because they, they're, really the same DNA. You basically had these four quadrants of the planet responding to the American Western and using it to explore their own 
their own, you know, historical dramas and action dramas. Uh, and then the last thing I wanted to bring up, because you were talking about the script, and this is written by Shinobu Hashimoto, and he wrote Rashomon. So I actually, so oh, he nails, yeah, I'm fantastic, right? But what is Rashomon about? It's about a bunch of people in a fucking courtyard telling stories, which is exactly <laughs> what this it's movie brilliant. is. brilliant. This gives yeah. me mad Rashomon vibes. Yeah, exactly. So it's the same writer. He like totally tightens up this this like motif of like riffing to people in a courtyard, right? And I even would argue that this is a little bit better, a little bit tighter. Like he spins it 10 degrees more towards mm. jo- uh, genre and it gives it like this it, just a little bit more juice because really we all Rashomon is an intellectual masterpiece and it changed uh, some of the ways in which we tell stories, really, in a lot of ways, how we perceive point of view in storytelling. But beyond that, ah, maybe it's too long. Maybe they walk through the forest too much. But this movie's really mm. perfected the people in courtyards telling stories uh, <laughs> genre. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, okay, there. That's that's all I had to say. Oh, oh one more <laughs> thing. Uh, one more thing. Yes. Clan E is a real clan. Uh, had, they are still a clan in Japan. A lot of these very powerful clans uh, became uh, uh, powerful families in Japan, uh, you know, similar to, say, like industrialists in the United States still have these huge uh, generational legacies. And so Clan E is a real clan that was a powerful retainer in the Edo period, uh, which, which this film takes place. So it's a little bit ballsy. To be like talking shit about um, about a a real, you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah, they mm-hmm. didn't make up a clan. They're like really kind of pissing on an actual f- Japanese family, <laughs> which is <laughs> I think really exciting. Yeah, he, they're basically actual, yeah. But this isn't an actual event, though. This is a this is a fictional event, as far as we know. Not to my knowledge. Now, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe you know, we're a bunch of Westerners talking about it. But it's to my, <laughs> right. to my knowledge, not. But I just love that they're they're basically saying, "Hey, um, wealthy legacy family who has impacted Japanese history over hundreds and hundreds of years, your house isn't shit, but an empty suit of armor." You know, I just I think that's a really cool yeah uh, thing. I'm yeah, done. Speaking I'm of. Out. Uh, yeah, speak, speaking of uh, an empty suit of armor, can we talk about the remake now? Yeah, is it time already? <laughs> it's. I, I promise we would not get too negative, Josh. We, I promise we will not. Oh no, I, I, I mean, don't hate it. I don't hate it. It's fine. I, I don't it's hate cool. it either. I don't hate it either. I just think that in comparison to the original, it's just not very. You know, it, it didn't need to be made. It doesn't offer that much to beyond what the original did. This came out one year after the, the remake by Takashi Miike came out one year after his remake of Thirteen Assassins, mm-hmm. which I like. I think it's fine. I think it's very well done. I mean, I, I even made my pitch for Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker to fix it. I just said, make it Thirteen Assassins. That's mm-hmm. it. Kill Kylo Ren. That's the whole movie. Like it's a simple bottleneck film. It's a very simple, straightforward story. But the problem is that you can't really build upon that. You can't really change much because it's mm. it's so simple. And the problem with uh, Harakiri is that, what do you do? <laughs> you're 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 kind of stuck. It's I I I like Takashi Miike. I think he's a very very talented filmmaker. He seems like uh he seems like a guy that can do basically any genre. He's made hard <laughs> violence films like Ichi the Killer, and he's also made children's movies. Like he can do anything. Mm. But 
I think the problem is that this may have been a situation where he was maybe hired to do this. This doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a passion project. No, it doesn't. The original feels like something that was a passion project. It was a topic, a story that was really important. And this just feels like I got paid a lot of money because I'm really talented and good at making films. Look at this remake I did. And I mean, it's it's definitely a capable remake. It's just it doesn't offer a tremendous amount beyond what the original did. So, yeah. Yeah. Josh, what what, what do you think? Uh, I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> As is my one. You want. go right ahead. I um, first of all, what's up with the two white cats? Can we just talk about this? Is oh like, yeah, I... this is Mike, and I also I second. You know, I think Mike is a very important filmmaker. the 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 guy has made a lot of shitty, shitty movies, but he's also made a lot of brilliant movies. And yeah. I, I, God only knows, I think he's like up to number one hundred and fifty or whatever fucking yeah. movie amount of movies he's made. Mm. So oh, you, we should you, we should, we should uh, before we continue, I remembered that um. On Monday, uh, two days ago, on the 24th, was Takashi Miike's 60th birthday. Oh, that's right. That's right. Happy that's right. birthday. I just remembered that. Yeah. I love it when a plan comes together. Because when, yeah, yeah. When, Brand- when we did the RoboCop episode, Brandon watched the original on the 33rd anniversary of when the film was released. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. We've had a lot of I coincidences that- like that on this show. I saw that <laughs> in the movie theater with my father. It's one of the only positive experiences I ever had with my dad ever. And if you want this to become a psychological podcast, we could talk about that <laughs> But, uh, but the, the, well the two the two cats like it's like Mike's one great uh his one great addition to the material and it's like I, I don't even know I guess one's a poor cat and it dies ahead of before its time and one's a, a wealthy cat who lives in in uh manner of in the manner of clan e and gets to sniff sea snails boiling or whatever I don't know it's it's mm. it's it's, it's perfect it shows exactly that Mike, never really a very strong philosophical or political filmmaker, is all he's going to really bring to this are sort of uh, shallow or um, inconsequential cosmetic changes. He's not going to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. He's not going to yeah. make it his own. You know, and and so he really um, he leans into the emotionalism. What's crazy is that he's actually sort of slavishly devoted to the original in some parts. Um, but he leans more to the emotionalism. He really wants to show, um, like, uh, Miho and Motome as children a lot. The, the soundtrack, you know, the first one, it's so brilliantly knows when to use silence and when to use music. It's really, in fact, silence is almost a form of composition in the original. And here it's sort of a lush, emotional it's like it's it's like spielberg's kind of the way spielberg would attack this material mm-hmm. and um and that's all fine we probably would be way more impressed with it if if it contextually existed all by itself but it doesn't yeah. so i i agree with what was said before it, it's it you know to what end for what purpose like and i saw it in the theater in 3d and uh Ooh. oh can and, we bring and, that up why is yeah. this in 3d <laughs> Yeah, it's a perfect example of like of of how Mike works, right? And again, I I mean, I a little bit of me dies when I talk shit about Mike, but so be it. But like, <laughs> that's that's how he makes a creative choice. That's how you make a hundred and twenty plus films in the space of thirty years. Is that you just kind of 
you you just kind of go with the first thought you have. <laughs> you just roll with yeah. it. And, you know, that's Mike in a nutshell. So he's like, yeah, fucking 3D. Sure, why not? We better make it snow <laughs> so, the, so there's something to see in 3D, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, but I recall it being yeah. really dark when I saw it on the screen. You know, it's like the earlier days of the current 3D trend and there wasn't much light mm. on the print and all that shit. So, yeah. This wasn't filmed with 3D cameras, I don't believe. I think it was post-converted. Ah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, Do you I think... think... Be... I, 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 I don't know. There's no information about it. So mm. it's... <laughs> I will try to saying... find something. Are you just saying that from the quality of the image that you saw when you rewatched it? You're just, like, yeah, because if you, like when you when you shoot for 3D, you can only shoot in certain ways. Like you can shoot either on a flat plane, so that way the images, like people or objects, will come out of the screen like a picture book, or yeah. you shoot from an isometric angle, so that way like an object thrusts out like a gun or a sword. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like look at like compare like um uh bad example, but uh well no no dread 3D like dread 3D like that sure. like the guns and the bullets like come out of the screen. Compare that to something like Transformers, like where it's just like shit everywhere, and it's just yeah you know yeah when you shoot for 3D you can get a better image, but when you're post converting it's a problem. Mm. You know it, yeah so. Did you see uh, Long Day's Journey into Night, the the bygone film from China that was that half of it is in 3D? I mean, if oh you could, oh, obviously if you saw it in the theater, you would have to. That's did uh, you I ever not, see that? No. I have. Uh, no. There, that is a movie. It? I mean, I fucking love it, but you can never see it in 3D again unless you see it in the theater. So I don't know. It, mm. But um, I don't know how it stands without the gimmick, but. Basically, it tells the same story with small mutated changes twice, uh, the first time in normal cinema and the second time in 3D, but they don't do anything. They don't thrust anything out at you. They don't stylize it any more than, than usual, and, what ha- and it's all done in one take. Or, or one shot, I'm sorry. And so what happens is that the 3D, all it does is um, is allow you to see the three-dimensional aspects of the spaces that they're occupying. And it actually was really quite moving. I'd never seen 3D used in such a mundane way, and it almost made it more, way more powerful than like swords poking out at me and shit like that, you know. Hmm. But almost like a, you're there in the space with them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you really feel the dimensional, uh, the vo- the volume of the space. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But yeah, hmm. that's neither here nor there. Just thought I'd bring that. <laughs> uh, Seth, what are your thoughts on the remake? I really liked it. Nice. I, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I, I don't. I, I definitely. Didn't, like agreed the first one is better like no no question but i really like the emotionality is the way to grab me that is like mm-hmm. i am the audience he was playing that towards uh it it really grabbed me i love i and it's a little bit of a sway back like it it kind of sags in the middle the flashback is not broken up the way that it is in the 62 version and so that makes it it, kind of forgets it's a flashback for like an hour it overstays its welcome for sure but then um the finale i i really love the snow i mean call it a gimmick but like i look great to me yeah um and then i like i like the change in the the subtle changes the like him dropping the the three coins that were requested that really really make this clan look like assholes like he like doubled <laughs> down on how shitty these guys look so i love that i love that um 
you know, he was he was taken out by you know uh, slices instead of guns. Um, that was kind of like like I, I don't I don't want to say a weird addition because I I think historically that is accurate, but like it just it felt like a very non samurai thing to do. Yeah, uh, uh, samurai actually did actually u- they used uh, bow and arrows, they used swords, they used guns. They it was. Uh, I, I've read a book uh, called African Samurai, hmm. which is about the story of Yasuke, the first African samurai, which is on the way to becoming a film, by the way. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm also going to swoop in real quick because I actually like the uh, the guns better because it almost kind of contradicts what they're saying. It's like, oh, oh yeah. how dare they sell their sword? Their sword is their soul. And then at the end, they're like, oh, well, the swords ain't working. Break out the guns. It, and mm-hmm. and right. yeah, it's, it's like it's it, something they wouldn't really discuss, but it's like. Right. Yeah. You know. They, I. In fact, I think on the Wikipedia page they were they regarded as a Machiavellian uh, of them to uh, to go that route instead. It's like, well, the old ways aren't working, so fuck it. Right. So yeah. Right. Yeah. And and again, I don't I don't think the other way's wrong. I just I did enjoy the remake ver- of that scene better. Um. Yeah. I, and I and his performance in that scene too, when he just like you see that he knows how he can fuck their shit up. In both (laughs) versions, it's great, but in the remake, it's like, there's a flash of just manic madness and uh, amazing clarity at the same time, and it's just like very, very well acted. So... I'll be the one to defend it. I I did enjoy it. I would would watch it again. I would watch a re-edit of it, actually. I'd, I'd, I'd even potentially sit down and want to recut that into maybe like a little a little shorter you know uh maybe a little more succinct but yeah i liked it i mean we nice. can edit things it's not a problem yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think that I, it's interesting the things that you mentioned i mean i do want to just pipe in on the gun thing which in no way to negate you know your thoughts on that because sure. I'm, I'm really glad that you know one of us like really really was feeling it but you know the the and Kurosawa does this in Yojimbo a little bit too, but you know the samurai's relationship to the gun is co- like the gun is was considered very much a detestable tool to the samurai, mm. and there were actually great houses who um, before the Edo period like outlawed the use of the gun in warfare and stuff. So I think originally what they're saying, <clears throat> this doesn't obviously change like your experience with it, but I think the original material is like saying that they have all these, this professed Bushido honor and, uh, and samurai honor, but the, the dudes whose slip knots he takes, they don't kill themselves, even though they hold themselves to this standard in their honor has been dragged. And in the end, uh, they don't even use, um, uh, traditional samurai combat to take him down so i think Mm -hmm. that's that's where the guns but i will say and i'd like to hear your opinion on this you know they changed the ending mike almost working against type because he's such like a hyper traditionally a hyper violent filmmaker Mm. he he changes the ending so that he fends them all off with his son-in-law's bamboo sword instead of he actually spills less blood at the end of the remake than uh kobayashi masakai spills in the original right and uh you know i wonder i wonder how you feel about that change like it it's a really interesting change in a weird way it it's visually striking it's visually like an idea that i myself wouldn't immediately shoot down if i had it it like contextually or maybe like realistically wouldn't work but again he's not really clashing blades often he's often dodging and and punching so I, i didn't hate it um, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Like, 
I, I, I feel almost like it works to help them lose even more face. Like, yeah, you have a real sword. He has, right. he has a bamboo sword, and he just, you know, scarred your forehead and stopped you in your tracks all with a bamboo sword. Get in the other room and seppuku now. We're yeah. Done. That's basically yeah. what it feels like. Just and, goes you know, to show he's how much little... he's so competent comparatively. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he even fights all three of the sword masters at once in the remake, as opposed to in the original where he takes them on one at a time. Did which you notice making him even more of a badass? Did you notice in the remake he uses the flat side of his katana yes. when he's fighting him too? <laughs> yeah. That, that I flipped when that happened. I was like, oh, this dude's just playing with you. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This, this guy from the lowest caste of society is somehow beating the crap out of all the best yeah. samurai that right. are in the house. It just goes to show how much that house is, has fallen and gone to waste. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm curious what every what everyone else if they t- had any good takeaways from the remake or anything that stood out that was like actually I really like that change. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> no, I, I mean no, some of the. I, think... I really like some of the some of the like locations and such. There were mm. some definitely really pretty locations that were featured mm-hmm. in this, and you know the costumes and everything like that uh, were really. I think that having those aspects in color did add add uh, a lot to it. Um, so that I think I liked a lot. Um, I will say I really didn't understand why we needed to see so much detail of the stabbing scene. I think that mm. that's kind of weird That is to me. so Mike. He's yeah, like slavish. So <laughs> He's so slavish to the, to the, to the original until the, First suicide, and then yeah. he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, let's spend a lot of time on this. Let's zoom in on those belly wounds." I'm like, "Come on <laughs> now, man." I mean, that's the irony. I, I I feel like the scene was longer, but actually not quite as bloody as the original. Yeah, and yeah. like not as intense part. somehow. Yeah, yeah. He weird. doesn't bite his own tongue. That True. too. That that was the thing that was kind of prominent in some uh, both the Japanese and Chinese films. Uh, I had never even heard of that until there was actually a. Um, uh, of course, this is what I mentioned. There's a Jackie Chan film called Dragon Fist, where there's a character near the end of the film. She uh, bites her own tongue, and when I first saw the film, I had no idea what happened. You just hear the music swell, blood come out of her mouth, and then she falls over. Like what? What just happened? And then later on, m- many years later, it's like, oh, apparently, if you like bite down hard enough on your tongue, you're fucked. Yeah. So, which makes sense. You just bleed out. So. I what will never know? judge you poorly from bringing up a Jackie Chan film. Safe <laughs> I appreciate Jackie that. Jackie Chan zone, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, I knew you I two mean, would get along really well. <laughs> <laughs> and to your point, Seth, I mean, I think you know, I attack its kind of more emotionalist take on the material, but I agree with you that even though it does sag and, and it does, you know, kind of go on too long. But some of that stuff with the kids really is heartfelt and, yeah. you know, and has has and it does kind of do its do its job. And in a way, the the first one is so austere that it's nice that Mike, who's a pretty relaxed filmmaker and pretty loose anyway, but that he relaxes that austerity a little bit. And uh, I also agree uh, that it's a beautiful film. I mean, Mike knows how to shoot. He knows where to put his camera. He knows how to move his camera. I'm not in love with like they really sort of the 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 buildings are desaturated, you know, the color mm. in the walls and stuff like that the reds is, are all faded. Yeah. That yeah. is what I wanted to bring up. Um we discussed this on the Psycho episode, the Psycho <laughs> remake. Um which you defend by the way. I do. I do defend the remake of Psycho. Yes. Uh, 
Okay, Proudly. so we said, why would you take a black and white movie that looks amazing and change the color palette to looking gray in the color right. version? Like, the, co- the the buildings are ugly. <laughs> like, everything's black and gray. Like, we've said, if you're going to remake a black and white film in color, make the colors pop. Like, we, uh, we pitched on the Psycho episode, if you're going to remake that film today, get Nicholas Winding Refn to bring in his kind of incredible color palette to make the colors pop. You know, well, you, I just want to, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to very briefly, because this is not a podcast about psycho, but I do want to say <laughs> that, that Christopher Doyle shot that psycho remake. And that's, he's probably the best living shooter, uh, in the world right now. So, I mean, I think I, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I do, I don't recall it being quite as drab as this, uh, film was, um, in its interior spaces. Um, yeah, that's all. I did increase the brightness on my projector for specifically this movie because there was especially the um, the death scenes. It was it was so dark I was barely seeing anything, and I popped up the brightness couple uh, clicks and was like, "Oh, th- there's a scene here. Okay, I, I'm I'm back on board." <laughs> that, yeah, it could be a, it could it could be a problem with the post conversion to three D because when you go to that's 3D, what you, I was going to say. Yeah, it dims yeah. it down I because totally I remember it being dark in the theater. You know, and so I, I think it probably is the 3D that did that. Um, but yeah, yeah, freaking 3D <gasps> ruining everything. Christopher Doyle shot Lady in the Water. I love him so much more now. Oh <laughs> man, he's amazing. He's amazing. Uh, he shot like uh, yeah, yeah. We couldn't even. We can't even start talking about all the beautiful movies he shot. <laughs> the uh, uh, um, one other thing is you know about the cl- Clan E in the remake is slightly they're they're a little they're strangely more what am i trying to say they're more regretful or more nice they're more sympathetic somehow um they're compassionate yeah yeah there's something about it i mean they seem to also be trapped inside of the these mechanisms um uh in a way that maybe you don't get from the first film uh, retainer Kaguyu has that 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 addition of his limp is really mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Kind of humanizes him more. And and what is that even about? Like I don't know if that's Mike doing another one of his really simple basic ways of saying how the house is fragile, or or maybe you know maybe he's referring to the wars before the Edo period and this guy got wounded. But then sure. also the delivery of uh the son of the um the stepson's body ah the names uh motome Mm -hmm. the um uh you know in the first one it's the three men really responsible for being cruel to him who deliver the body and then are cruel to the family and that is how uh that's how the father knows who to fuck up and um, yes. you know, and in the remake, it's these uh, like serfs who are almost uh, who are ashamed to be part of this larger endeavor, and that's right. also, I think, kind of interesting in humanizing the house a little bit more. Sure, yeah, but the remake also takes away and ruins one of the possibly one of the best sword duels in yeah. cinematic history thank you thank you <laughs> yes thank oh you. yeah so unfortunate. <laughs> we, we, we went from we went from a fight that looked like a charcoal drawing brought to life to a very i hate to say it 
flat, almost generic samurai fight scene. Aside from that little character B that we mentioned earlier about, yeah, um, yeah the flat uh, you know, the, t- exactly, yeah. you know, using the flat side, and you even like hear the sound effect of him switching back to the blade before he gets <laughs> the uh, top knot. Uh, but yeah, it's such a drastic shift, and Miike is usually pretty stylized. So I was like, how do we, how do we go from that? To that, yeah, and I like the concept in the original that you know he takes out the first two pretty easily, but that the third one it kind of like brings, oh, yeah, yeah, brings Omadok up to like the level that he's been hyped by everybody else. Like, oh, he's he's the most prestigious in the house, yeah. and he da 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 da. But here he's like only like a baby step above the other two guys. So not to not to um, milk the Ghost of Tsushima thing too much, but there <laughs> is an actual <laughs> duel, like a boss duel in that game that is like almost shot for shot exactly the same thing including walking <laughs> through the graveyard um, nice <laughs> it makes me giddy oh, the, the windy hill battle yeah you know i i I, yeah. I do i think that i would have liked the flashback scenes in this more if they would have been spread out like mm-hmm. that story yeah. was good and i would have been interested in it if they would have spread it out some the way the original did but i just yeah. I was like, uh, weren't we watching a completely different movie? Like, friends, let's get back to the movie we were watching. <laughs> and it's funny yeah. that you mentioned that, because the other thing is that technically the remake is shorter, but feels longer. It does feel yes. longer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The oh. weird. Pacing well, is everything. Because the, yeah. yeah. the original feels totally. like you're, you're, you're cranking up on a rubber band about to snap somebody, whereas the remake feels like you're just holding a rubber band out, and like there's a little tension on the ends, but just in the middle, just like, you know, you know. Yeah, there's a little sag there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's 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 frustrating because there are things I do I do like that they could have done with the remake. I mean, you you have all these at these modern day assets of like. Like, yeah, as far as remakes you... go, we've seen far worse. I mean, we oh, just yeah. like, did Robocop the... not too long ago. <laughs> yeah, the thing the thing I will say about the remake is that it's not like offensive. No, like it's no, no. it's not an offense. Like we did Gone in sixty seconds last week. Oh uh. Jesus. <laughs> And the original of that is very clean, very straightforward. Josh, you should probably watch the original on YouTube. It's very good. <laughs> Only yeah, on like YouTube because YouTube. because they well they fucked up the sound on Amazon Prime, so you have to watch it on YouTube. Listen All to right. our podcast and find out why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um in the remake, they put in every racist and sexist stereotype you can think of. It was of. so annoying. Yes, they did. I only watched like <laughs> half of it. I, I gave up. Nice. Yeah, like like the Asian lady that screams and cries and can't drive. Every black man is a raving lunatic or a drug dealer. Oh, uh, Mexicans, they're the Donald Trump thing of they're all rapists and murderers. By the way, Michael Pena is in that scene, and he actively has avoided that kind of stereotype since then. Yep. So it is like that's an offensive remake where you took the material that was overall clean and you inserted racist stereotypes. The remake of this film, like, it's it's... It's fine, but that's all I can really say is that it's fine. It's a competently made film. I I mean, I think, you know, I I already kind of said this, but I feel like if we didn't have the original and we saw this movie, we'd we'd all be like, oh, yeah, this is interesting. This Mm -hmm. is cool. Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. a healthcare crisis in feudal Japan. I'm down. Right. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Do you you think that's why they put the subtitle on it? Is oh, to, Death of a Samurai. Yeah, yeah. Death of a Samurai. The just, subtitle. Just to just to distance it at least a little from its source material. 
I mean, maybe, but but weren't they sort of counting on the source material to drive attention to it? I don't know. I I don't know what yeah. that subtitle is about, to be honest. By uh, the way, except- I, I also think I also think it's funny. You know, speaking of the title, um, every time that uh, the subtitles <laughs> would say "harakiri," you would seppuku. hear the actor say "seppuku" because yeah. that, that's the more formal way of saying it. While "harakiri" apparently is like the more guttural way because apparently it just means "cut belly." Oh. It's just like yeah. very straight to the point, very blunt, and very informal. So you never yeah. really hear anybody say "harakiri," even though it is a Japanese term. It's always "seppuku," and I, in fact, yeah. I think that's actually the the written Japanese title, but they stuck with "harakiri." I like that change in the subtitle in the remake too, where they they would just say ritual suicide instead, or yes. yeah, uh, yeah, or suicide yeah. bluff, yeah, suicide bluff. So suicide bluff, yeah. I like that. Oof. I think they I think they do say Harakiri one time in it, but um, and and maybe that was the the correct usage. I don't know. Yeah, I don't speak Brandon, Japanese. Isn't, isn't there isn't there a Harakiri in one of the Mortal Kombat games? Yes. Now, obviously, it's not literal. You know, it's not meaning that every character, you know, cuts their stomach open. Uh, But yes, Mortal Kombat Deception was the only Mortal Kombat game where if uh, you lost your opponent and were basically trying to give one final fuck you before they could perform a fatality (laughs) on you, you could perform it on yourself. So every character had one suicide move, basically. They Mm. call it Harakiri. And thankfully, they spell it correctly. The announcer even says it correctly because the Mortal Kombat games have been a little wonky when it comes to Japanese pronunciations. Um, Don't get me started on Shirai Ryu. It's like you can't make that sound more Americanized if you tried. But yeah, Harakiri, that that was that's actually one thing that people wanted to bring back into Mortal Kombat because it's as graphic as the newer games are, especially with like the literal graphics of the games. It's like, why are we not doing Harakiri again? It could mm. look like really intense. Uh, but um, but yeah, yeah, Mortal Kombat Deception was the one and only to have um Harakiris. Nice. Mm. nice. And it sounds like it was well, it served the exact purpose that Sukumo uses in the film right doesn't he like he even after he's shot he still performs supaku on himself like the final act of um i'm in charge you're you guys are not in charge of me Mm -hmm. i'm the one samurai in this whole fucking house (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely and in fact i feel like i i know everybody says that um one of the biggest inspirations for the bruce lee film uh fist of fury the ending uh was butch cassie and the sundance kid i feel like a little bit of this was there as well uh where it's like one final once again one final fuck you uh before the opposing forces can um you know chop somebody down you know literally or figuratively speaking right yeah it's only in the most superficial way that house e wins they lost exactly. in every other way Big time. imaginable against this one broke, hungry, skinny samurai grandpa. Uh, that was um, who was only twenty nine in the original film <laughs> when so he funny. filmed it. By the way, I had to look yeah. that up. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. And the hilarious thing is, the guy in the remake historically is that's older. not that inaccurate for a grandpa, really. Though, yeah, if you think about that's it. fair. That's fair. But he <laughs> didn't look twenty nine. He he looked like he had seen some shit. Mm. Um, He looks how I feel this year. I know, right? Um, (laughs) So, but the funny thing is the actor in the remake is actually older than the original actor, but looks younger. I'm like, I, uh, okay. So, because I think he's like 35, but he looks like he's in his 20s trying to play older. It was very confusing. Yeah. Uh, He does in the... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just going to quickly say in the remake, I do really like the actor who, who, plays the Tsukumo role in oh, yeah. the remake he even does I don't even think the camera's on him I don't think he's even on screen uh but he does that like oh you know that like really <laughs> cool yeah <laughs> like mm-hmm. grunt 
that uh, Nakadai oh, yeah. did in the original. Um, oh, and he does that. Mm-hmm. It makes my that made my heart warm. I love yeah. that sound he makes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's all yep. I want to say. <laughs> One of the sort of like that spiteful. Oh, really? Type of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's like, oh, I see. <laughs> One of my. I, 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 oh, go ahead. No, 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 you, you go ahead. One, one of my favorite things in the original. Um, so, uh, I, Josh, I think you said that basically the House E has lost in every way except for, you know, uh, it, their facade remains, right? Yeah. Um, the the scene where uh oh now I'm gonna now I'm gonna mispronounce his name uh, <laughs> uh Kagayu the the main lord yes. um yeah the retainer or whatever he, yeah he's sitting in the room and he's heard this whole fight go down he hears the gunshots go off and then yes. uh, his surf comes in and he's telling him like go to these guys' houses make sure they kill themselves and if they don't yes. like force it to happen and the and the surf is like questioning it and it's like the the one wisp that that he can hold on to is like don't make me say that we're all going to keep a secret don't make me yeah. say that <laughs> yeah, i just exactly, yeah. it, he's Did got I this stutter <laughs> yeah he's got this hair to hold on to and he's like listen <laughs> motherfucker you're older than i am you've been around you know what we're doing now yeah, go fucking yeah. do it i that was just <laughs> It it really just tied everything in a perfect little bow of just like, I mean, this one guy just kind of tore their guts out through their asshole. Like, that's it, guys. You're faking it from here on out. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yep. Uh, and that's what's cool in the original. Uh, the remake doesn't have that. But, you know, it starts and it ends with the the logbook mm-hmm. of the house. Oh, yeah. You know, so so it's like, the opening of the logbook is like Samurai shows up at gate and asks to kill himself. And the closing of the logbook is Samurai kills himself. And that's <laughs> the only history that gets written. Um, right. And in the middle we get, yeah, we get like the whole moral collapse of the house. It's, right. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And that reminds me too, with, you know, both the original and the remake, I do feel like, um, one, one of the bigger differences in such a subtle way was that in the original, um, uh, we also kind of assume like, oh, this is just some guy just trying to, you know, do a suicide bluff and just get some money. Oh, yeah. yeah well, I can, I can see why they made him, you know, kill himself yes. with a bamboo blade. Then as the film goes on, you're like, oh, shit. Mm, yes. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> But then I think the one of the bigger problems in the remake she is that mentions it, it. It, it exactly it telegraphs. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, wait, th- th- we shouldn't know this already. I we shouldn't know that, that he has it a wife and child. Yes. It's like if they had just cut that. It's like, mm, no, we, we shouldn't. We're supposed to go along for the ride to go, oh, wait, we don't know what someone's going through. And it just, it kind of like kneecapped it. And also, yeah. So it was just, it was kind of weird, you know? Yeah. I think, or you were about to say, and also, though, I didn't mean to cut you off. Were you going to? Oh, no, you're, you're fine. Uh, the other thing is kind of similar, once again, kind of telegraphing is that when uh, Hanshiro was asking for his potential second, they also give away really soon that all three of them are gone before he can list yes. off all three of them. Because when you're watching the original, that's when you're slowly realizing this is very coincidental. But after he lists off the first one, like, oh, the other two didn't come back either. It's like, could you let that breathe a little bit? Right. I, yes. mean, I know we talked about moving some things faster, but this is not one of them. <laughs> So that's that, the problem. No, yeah. no when to slow down and no when to speed up. Right. Yes, that's exactly what you had said earlier about pacing. Yeah. That's a perfect yeah. example. The, the original really meets out its beats in this sort of exactly. measured, rhythmic uh, drip drop of water. And this mm. this one, it definitely rushes to get oh, yeah. certain things done and then lingers on kind of inconsequential things. But I think exactly. to your point, you know, I was I didn't know where I stood on that because I I. 
I very much agree with you about, you know, when he says, oh, I have a sick wife and child at home and like, oh, bitch, you telegraphed the whole movie. <laughs> but uh, um, at the same time, it does make Clan E look even more like cunts. I'm yeah, sure that that's a terrible yeah. word. Even more like douchebags. You know what I mean? Like they like they're like, ah, you know, um, but I but I ultimately I think I agree with you for the sake of pacing, for the sake of reveal, for the sake of audience engagement. I think it plays much better the first in the original. Yeah, I, I think more yeah. than anything, it kneecaps his one, one of his like uh, theses at the end of the original is you couldn't even take the time to ask yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. Because right. he begs you for a brief reprieve. Right. Um, yeah. 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 I, uh, I think what it is, is that and I, I kind of just realized this is that it, the, the remake is because is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, has the subtitle Death of a Samurai. The original is just called Harakiri. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think what it is is that the original is dealing with a broader sense, the broader yes. political like, spectrum. It's it's not yes. just about this one individual, like the sociological phenomena of this yes. of this mm-hmm. part of yes. Japanese culture. Yeah, yeah. the The remake is more dealing with this one individual. Yeah, it's not about the political system. It's not about an ideology. It's not about a philosophy. Yeah. It's more about yeah. just the the human story, and that's good. But it has more impact when you have the political ele- political element on top of it. Yeah. True. Yeah. yeah. There's a density of theme to the original. You know what I mean? It really feels full. I, you know, I, the last time I watched it again so that we could do this, but I, I've seen it like three times in the last mm. year. So I watched it with the subtitles off and um, just so I could enjoy the imagery, you know, and, and, uh, and look at the pacing and the way, you know, we, we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the movement of the actors, uh, which is a little bit reminiscent of no theater in Kabuki where they sort of like move very Mm. theatrical. Um, and yet at the same time, because Kobayashi Masaki is a very modern filmmaker there, he doesn't ever, there's a few, I know we keep bringing up Kurosawa, but he's like the patron saint of of Japanese classic (laughs) cinema, but like there's a few Kurosawa films where he really leans heavily into Kabuki and no theater. And it's satisfying and interesting to watch, but, but, uh, Masakai is more modern, so he uses the movement, but it's never shit. Yeah. What was my point? <laughs> oh, the, the I got really excited you, about you, movements. You were talking about boring. you were talking about yes. the the breadth Thematic and thickness. Density. Yeah, yeah, density. yes, that's it. <laughs> I really got into myself for a second. The, um, you know that I think I do think that because of exactly what Jesse's saying, that because it's speaking to a larger sociological philosophical. Uh, phenomena in the culture that um, that you feel the weight you, you and sometimes you can't even name it or place it you just know there's something much weightier at the heart of this film than at yeah. the remake. Mm. Well, that, that's yeah. that's something I bring up on the the film rescue show all the time. Is the best stories are like um, when when you're baking some kind of like like puff pastry you have to keep folding the layers back in on each other you take two yes. two layers and you fold them together and now these layers are combined and now you stretch it out and now you have four new things and keep you keep folding back in on each other and i was like through the original just thinking about shakespeare the not mm-hmm. only it's it's the things being said it's the things not being said it's the things not not being said and then it's the things that you need to be figuring out about all of those right now because they're not going to show you that you know this ronan has trained well enough to fight off 
uh, uh, Clan E's best fighter. And they're not going to show you that he took all this time to do all this other stuff in the background. And you need to start figuring it out because initially, when they said that these guys were sick at home and then they showed the sick wife and baby, I was like, oh, they dropped off the body. They got sick. They're at, they're at home dying. That's all. Yeah. So then, and I, and when I, I even mentioned the group chat, I was like, I think I know how this is going to end, but I kind of don't want to know because, <laughs> yeah. and, and yeah. both Brandon and Jesse were like, just trust me. And then the reveal that he went out <laughs> and he got revenge and yes. he, he throws the top knots out. And I was just like, Oh, this went places that I should have seen coming, and I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. He already won before he walked through the gate. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Exactly. Yeah, I love the fact that it's not that he went out and just like outright murdered them. I thought no. that was something that yeah. DK was going to put in because hey, that's totally him. Yeah, he, he's, yeah. he's kept with the top knots. The the fact that removing a samurai's top knot is a means of defeating them. Yes, is the most vain way of of ruining somebody. Right, yeah. it's a symbol of vanity, and the fact that they did not commit supaku because of it, as as yeah. is the code that they had expected, of you know of Tsukomo's son in law. Like they were like, well, that's the code. He didn't follow. You know, he said he came here to commit suicide, but their own people won't follow that code when they've been dishonored in combat. Exactly. Right. So I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's really it's 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 pretty masterful. The top the whole top knot bit elevates the movie. You know, you're you're having a great time. You're rolling along. It's a great film. It's beautifully photographed, and then they just turn it from ten to eleven in that beat. <laughs> the, awesome. the other shoe drops, and I was just like, I was yes. I was glued for the rest of the movie. I was like, and and and, and we don't we haven't even seen the the best fight of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, true. <laughs> it's like no, yeah. no, we're 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 at the dessert part of the the menu here. Like you know, you you got through all the courses. Now just eat this rich cake and have a really good time. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I, that's one thing. Watching it without subtitles, I really and but knowing by heart where all the story beats drop, I, it's really a master class in like just kind of slowly letting everything unroll for the audience. Yeah. And and uh, I know we've already said this and we're being redundant, but that is where I think the the remake really drops the ball. It really mm. it really rushes the point. You know, it's not measured. I I think the situation here, and this is probably not going to be the most popular opinion, but I'm just going to use this for the sake of discussion. I, I think what we have is that in the 20 years that I've been watching and analyzing and loving and or dunking on films, <laughs> uh, I've found that in in general there's two separate kinds of filmmakers on the one end of the spectrum you have somebody with a deep intense artistic vision that's your kobayashis that's your kurosawas that's your david lynch's that's your alejandro jodorowsky's that's you know that's where they that's where they are they're having they're using the cinema the language of cinema to get something deeper across to the audience whether Mm -hmm. it be on an intellectual emotional or um uh, visceral level the opposite end of the spectrum is people that grew up watching cinema and said, wow, I want to do that. And they're more like very, very, very skilled craftsmen. Like that's where you find your, your Sam Raimi's. That's where you find your Edgar Wright's. That's mm. where you find your Takashi Miike's. I think he's mm. a talented filmmaker, <laughs> but 
we can't put out seven films in a year and say he has a deep artistic vision. <laughs> you know, I'm not no offense, but I, I think that he is more of like a craftsman. He I mean, he appreciates. I mean, his deep his deep oh, vision yeah. just yeah. may be you know in the sign of yen signs. You know, that just might be what they look like. <laughs> Exactly, or and, and I think that's compulsive. You know, like just someone. Who, I mean, I get. A, I kind of get the vibe from. Uh, not to stop your point, uh, Jess, but I kind of get the vibe that he just like. What would he do if he didn't start the next movie immediately while he's still editing the last one? Confront right. his deep seated yeah. issues as a human being. <laughs> yeah. I bet quarantine <laughs> is fucking with him. <laughs> oh, what is he uh, doing he, he in probably quarantine? made 12 movies in his apartment in the last three years what is wow. he up to? I, I wouldn't be shocked yeah <laughs> but a bunch yeah. of stop motion animation movies probably yeah. yeah but yeah that's that's i think that the, the situation here is that the original film was made by somebody with a deep artistic intent and the remake was, was done by somebody say, who yeah. was just maybe a craftsman that admired the material but didn't really know how to reach the emotional intensity of the original. He's directed a mm. hundred and three films. Are you fricking with me? <laughs> nope. Oh, I, over, I overestimated him before. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I spent he put out year, seven movies in I, a year. I spent a year watching almost entirely Takashi Miike films and like, <laughs> Oh God, why? <laughs> Well, Shockingly, I just this was my first him. one. <laughs> oh, really? I just I had discovered him. The it was the year audition came out. Mm. Oh, okay. I saw. I went to the. Uh, I I go every year to the Japanese Outlaw Masters series, which is this thing a, a local theater puts on, and they had a, a double feature one night that was audition and happiness of the Kutakutis or Kutakutis. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, but. Um, but so I saw these two Mike films back to back, and it's like one of the greatest cinematic nights of my life to discover. You know, one thing we're always looking for, especially those of us who watch a lot of movies, is to be introduced to a new filmmaker. Yeah, and, uh, that's always the most exciting thing. And then I, I, I was really excited about it. I came home and I decided to check his IMDb page. And at that point, he had made like seventy movies, <laughs> and I'd never heard of it. And he made seventy movies in like eleven years or something. And I was like, who the fuck is this cat? This is crazy. <laughs> so then I just, I just, I, you know, I overdosed on Mike for a year. There you go. Yeah. I, I didn't. I watched a lot of them. I didn't know. How, how many of those would you actually say are genuinely good? <laughs> He's got a lot of good movies. The problem is, is that it's so many movies, man. Yeah, but like, I, you know, there's a, I mean, I really, you know, I mean, I, He's got a lot of great movies. I would say he's got like 10, at least 10 fantastic movies. Uh, the problem is, is when it's 103 movies, that's not a whole lot of movies. Mm. <laughs> you don't know where to start. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I can tell you where not to start. He did a live-action version of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure recently uh, within the last <laughs> oh, few years. God, no. That's That's where not to start. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I there are some things... Much- <laughs> There's some things we I, don't need in live action. <laughs> I don't know how much you guys are into like really extreme cinema, but I would argue uh, Ichi the Killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. You know, I I would argue Gozu. I would argue, obviously I think Audition is amazing. Happiness is amazing. Um, I personally think Visitor Q is incredible, but uh, every time oh I Visitor Q is fantastic. Somebody, oh, that's good. Every time I show it to somebody, they like stop being my friend. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's a difficult one. 
<laughs> you know, I think there's a lot. He's he's got a lot. Of, Bird People of China is really cool. He did some kids movies that are really awesome off the chain. Um, so, you know, uh, Bird People of China alive. sounds my speed. Tell me more about that. Oh, know. it's really cool. It's actually one of his like more chill movies. It's kind of a a, a light fantasy. Yeah, you should check it out. Hmm, it's interesting. Awesome. I really like Bird People of China. <laughs> Good luck watching Ichi the Killer, Aaron. <laughs> oh, that one's rough. Uh, I, I, don't... I still, I, I still haven't seen either that or audition. This was actually my first uh, Mikkei film, which is kind of nuts for me. Wow. Yeah, and the, well, this yeah, I've been meaning to for a while. This is like his tame, his most tame mode. I would probably say, except for his. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I've read a lot about what uh, Ichi contains, and a bit about audition, but Ichi seems to be the one that uh, people knee jerk think of when they hear uh, Mikkei. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I think because it's such a distillation of what he became famous for. Right? Sure. Yeah. yeah point. Uh, the, the, the opening title uh, emerges out of uh, Come. Yeah. And so it's real just... from what I've read. Oh, is yeah, it? Yeah, it's real. <laughs> yep. Nice. Nice. Oh, uh, Me- method. <laughs> I mean, method. it's hard to get that consistency, right? You know. And I'm going to bring it back to Mortal Kombat. Apparently the guy who plays um, the, uh, the the split-mouth detective, I forgot his name. It's not Ichi, because Ichi's the, the, the crying killer dude. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, Tadanobu. I can't remember his name, but he's playing Raiden in the Mortal Kombat reboot. Huh. Oh. Yeah, he, he was also in the Thor films. Oh, yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, God damn it. All right, IMDb, be my friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but he he's literally like the, the poster boy of Ichi, even though he's not Ichi. Um, that was always the uh, very confusing thing. Like, when I first started reading about the film, I was like, oh, wait, so this guy isn't actually Ichi. Wait, what? Um, but yes, it's... Um, I just had a goddamn... Uh, Tadanobu Asano. Um, yeah, so he's the the one you see on all the covers and posters for Ichi. Uh, but uh, he was Hogan in the Thor films. And yeah, he's playing uh, Raiden in the Mortal Kombat reboot. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, K- Kakihara. Nice. That was his character in Ichi, apparently. Good casting. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. see it. a long way. Um, yeah. I, I have a question for Josh. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm very interested. It seems like you have a, uh, a really cool relationship with Japanese cinema, and you write comics, and that's yes. awesome. What, nice. What would you say have been some of your influences from that in your work, if you allow it to influence your work at all? I mean, I, I allow everything to influence my work, you know. Um, I think that, uh, well, there's the, like, indirect way in which things influence uh, us as people, you know, which is you just try to absorb it. You're just taking it in all the time. You never really know how it's going to emerge, mm. um, but it does. And hopefully you're not mimicking your influences. You're just trying to understand what it is about them that you love spiritually and you're mm-hmm. trying to like invoke that in your own work. But I will say, because we just had this Takashi Miike discussion, I wrote uh, a series for Etric and the Demon, which is like this, this rhyming oh, God. <laughs> demon. For, and I wrote this series in the middle of that year that we were just discussing where I watched like you know, like 40 Takashi Miike movies in one year. <laughs> and um, in, in this, this series, The Demon Driven Out is deeply, profoundly influenced by Miike. I mean, in a way that is, that is more probably mimicry than me actually successfully getting the spirit out. And yet it's a DC, like a mainstream 
DC Comics. So I, I got reined in quite a bit from my original intentions. Sure. But, uh, I mean, there's a there's a bukkake scene in there. How'd you get away with that, Josh? The, the there isn't a bukkake scene, but the, uh, but that's only because editorial did not know what bukkake was until too late. We had drawn it, and um, uh, and they they found out what it was, and they had to change the art. We were like going to press. So in the original scene. This is the least intellectual way to answer your question. I'm really sorry about my influences. But in the original scene, it was about Yakuza in Los Angeles. Um, uh, and he is telling the, the people back in Japan, you know, he's like running a porn company. He's telling them that they can't control him anymore. This isn't Japan. You know, you can't control me. He's like, this is America. And the whole point was he's supposed to say this is America and the balloon is like supposed to be over this bukkake scene and uh um that's like my portrait of america in this moment the (laughs) editorial editorial freaked out and they removed the the woman from the panel so it's just a bunch of dudes standing around in a circle now jerking (laughs) off and it says this is america it's limp biscuit it's just limp biscuit (laughs) it's way better the way it is now it's amazing how they improved it they um but uh yeah yeah (laughs) Interesting. I never worked for DC again. I they immediately sh- <laughs> sh- they immediately shuttled me to Vertigo, and I never got another DCU book for the rest of my career. Yeah. <laughs> and I blame me gay. But I mean, it's full circle. Answer, yeah, the real answer to your question is, you know, I think, gosh, our influences are. It's if we're doing it right, I think it's difficult to know how the things that we love find how they're in our own work. You know what I mean? I think we, if we're really trying not to mimic and it kind of reminds me of what Jesse was saying, right? You've got these directors who are sort of regurgitating Mm. the cinema. And then you've got, uh, you know, I would also place Quentin Tarantino sort of in that camp. Oh, sure. Oh, definitely. He's the captain of that ship. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want, I, you know, if I were to, if I were to be inspired by Harakiri, I would try to be inspired more by um, its railing against the hum- the systems that suppress human, you know, kindness. Sure. Uh, then I would want to try to mimic some absolute, you know, something visual from it or something. Although I steal little bits, little visual bits all the time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I steal constantly. It's just, <laughs> it's just, I don't make anything I mean, up. It's all theft. I mean, there was a uh, Brandon. What was that film that uh, everyone said that Tarantino ripped off to make Reservoir Dogs? Was it City on Fire? Uh, yes, the yeah. uh, Italian fat uh, Ringolam film. I think some people yes. think it's a John Woo film, but it was a uh, Ringolam. Yes. Yeah, and they said uh, when everyone was calling out Tarantino for doing that, didn't the original creator say, "Oh no, we've been ripping off America for years"? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, so, something along those lines. Well, yeah. isn't that that's like the Hong Kong model at that, which is you know I'm a big, big fan of Hong Kong cinema from like seventy five to ninety five. But that whole they they were it was all very incestuous and sort of drifting from each other. And, you know, <laughs> right, it's, it's just pure capitalist cinema. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, never never mind that until like the mid eighties, Hong Kong films would kind of just use whatever music they felt like using. Yeah, 
absolutely. Like that that's a thing. Like there are like forums dedicated to identifying music used in film. Some are more obvious, like uh they they loved using both uh Morricone and Pink Floyd. Yeah. Yes. Like those those two were used a lot. I love so, it. I love it. Sometimes in the same movie. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I have nothing but admiration for that uh, that period of, <laughs> of Hong Kong uh, it, and it's kind of funny too because I remember when I was first um, working on one of the uh, Bruce Lee releases, actually for Shout Factory, and then it happened again with Criterion. Uh, one of the stipulations for getting the Cantonese track of the Big Boss onto the disc was either we got to get rid of the Pink Floyd music or it's not going on at all. Like even cri- <laughs> even Criterion was like, yeah, we might have money, but no, we ain't fucking with that. Yeah. The Pink Floyd music Pink needs Floyd to stay money. off. Exactly. It's like you can't use you cannot use time from Dark Side of the Moon multiple times and get away with it all these years later. It ain't gonna happen. Right. So. We have money. We don't have that though. much money. <laughs> exactly. Pink Floyd ain't cheap. And I've even said that before, like with the departed, that's why uh even Scorsese wasn't using the the wall version of Comfortably Numb. Like he had, he had to use the um the live version instead because it was cheaper. <laughs> Makes sense, dude. And he and he like a huge parts of his budget often go to soundtracks. Yeah, not saying a lot. lot of money. So yeah. Floyd ain't cheap. <laughs> so you, did you actually you worked on a on some of those releases? That's cool. Yeah, it was it was kind of a, a pinch me moment, especially this year. The um the the Criterion set. Uh, shockingly enough, my name's actually on the back of the box for uh, my commentary I did for the Big Boss back in 2016 for Shot Factory, and then we had it uh, legally ported over to uh, Criterion. They they work with me directly on that. That is awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a bucket list thing. So have it was, you? It was, uh, pretty cool. Have you seen the Game of Death redo yet? The I've watched parts of it uh, because I've actually done stuff like that myself. I was pleasantly surprised they actually um, put uh, what was essentially a fan edit of the original yeah. footage on there. But I haven't had the chance to watch the whole thing. Um, the the uh, Criterion set's uh, pretty packed. I would actually say that one of the cooler things on there is actually having the original theatrical version of Enter the Dragon for the first time since like the '90s. Because like awesome. ever since ni- ever since '98, it had like the the George Lucas Star Wars effect. It's like, nope, it's only the special edition. You never get the theatrical cut again. And Criterion's like. Like, fuck you, we're getting both of them on there. So, there we are. Woo. Awesome. <laughs> oh, speaking uh, of Hong Kong cinema and bringing it yes. back to Harakiri, um, <laughs> Seth, you will appreciate this. Um, so, you, you might not have recognized this guy, but um, so the one who played Omodaka, the, the final uh, samurai that mm-hmm. our hero fights at the end of the film. Uh, that is uh, actor Tetsuro Tanba, mm-hmm. and he also played the tombstone-chucking master of Ricky in the flashbacks of Story nice. of Ricky. Oh, you're awesome. right! You're right! <laughs> so, it, Chinese movie, but based on a Japanese manga, and of course yes. they had to get a Japanese actor for a couple scenes just for shits and giggles, and it was Tetsuro Tanba. So that was Ricky's uh, Sifu, or Sensei, depending on uh, which language you lean into. That's so funny! Uh- isn't there a couple of Japanese actors in uh, Rikio, right? Um, I think so. I know he was one of the more prominent ones. Oh, yeah, um, Yukari Oshima. Yes, yes, she's, yeah, she's yeah, in from, a, She makes um, me feel all tingly inside. Stern. <laughs> and she Whoa. actually had, like, quite a career in, in Hong Kong film. She was also yeah. prominent in um, Millionaire's Express or Shanghai Express with uh, Sama Hong. Wow. Uh, did you see, um, have you seen Lamna Choi's The Cat? 
I have not, uh, but I do know that uh, it's funny because I think the only film of his I've actually seen is, and I feel like this applies to a lot of people, is uh, Story of Ricky. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that that's 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 your big boy right there is uh, Story of Ricky. That one has like transcended uh, cult status at this point. I feel um, it is. It's like so, explo- yeah. exploitation cinema one hundred and one. Yeah. And as so, it's, oh, yeah. and it's definitely necessary doing. But I do want to say, in my humble opinion, and uh, I do like really shitty movies. I do I preface this, but The Cat shits gold. That movie's amazing. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta see this movie. It's just incredible. There's like a, so I'm, I'm sure you're not aware of the the animal foo the the cat dog kung fu fight that lasts about 25 minutes. It's fucking oh my sweet Jesus. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. Is is it on the same level as uh, the the cat awkwardly fighting the snake in Snake of the Eagle Shadow? Ah, uh, oh no, no, it's way better than that. It's oh way god. Better than that. Because the one sort of, scene that is the reason why Snake and the Eagle Shadow has not had a, a British Blu-ray yet is because of the cat versus snake fight. <laughs> even though they've oh. insisted that the cat was fine and the snake was fine. I mean, PBFC is a little more strict about that. I mean, it's kind of... it's If, if you watch for any length of time uh, these Hong Kong action cinemas from this period, you're going to see animal abuse. I know it's sad. I know it's not, sad. Not as bad as Italian horror in the late 70s and early 80s. Well, that's true, that's true. Looking at I, you, can, cannibal films. Uh, yeah. yeah 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 but i don't know i mean you know the uh, i love uh shoe hearts dangerous encounters of the first kind and they like you know they're really brutal wolf i know it's tough it's tough on the modern audience but i i'm i i mean i don't think that the cat and the dog involved in the cat uh, in this particular film i'm not sure they were always super excited to be there but I don't, you know what I mean? Or Most like, animals aren't when you put them in front of a camera, except yeah. unless, of course, it's the remake of Harakiri and you have that one white cat just sitting there as everyone's just getting yes. the shit kicked out of them yeah. by a bamboo sword. You're just chilling there like, oh... That's nice. Where's my food? I could not give less fucks about this situation. That is what that cat was thinking. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. That's your standard cat. Yeah, exactly. Perfect acting. Uh, it really encapsulated the true eff- <laughs> essence of feline behavior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but how about that little like when when they the puppet cat that's the dead cat the poor white cat when they're burying it and it like has human legs you know, like it's got like like I couldn't stop looking at it I was like those that's those are like human legs on that white cat which is <laughs> buried it's really weird uh, but just to say like in the movie the cat the, the Hong Kong film um, I, I don't think straight up animal abuse was involved i don't think the animals were super jazzed about being you know i think you can watch it and not be horrified uh like some hong kong films if i could sit if i could sit through the uh the the turtle scene in cannibal holocaust i should be good yes oh yeah it's not that bad Uh, one and done though it's like yeah i've seen that scene i don't need to see it again or blowing up frogs in jenerowski's holy mountain I love Yeah, that too. Oh, that too. Okay, okay. We're into territory we don't need to be in today. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, the 70s. That was a, a lawless filmmaking era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're wrapping it around to the end, guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> all I'll say is that I'm probably the only person on this whole panel that has sat through a Serbian film, and that's where we'll end this. I have. Well, I, thought uh, you, I thought you always ducked out on that one. 
No, I've watched it. I've seen it all the way through. I feel like I need to get through it once. I still have. It's, it's one of those. It's a movie that had to be cut to get it NC seventeen. <laughs> I know. Jesus H. Q. Rice. I've never heard of that of any other film. It's like, wait, wait. You mean cut to avoid an NC seventeen? No, cut to get an NC seventeen. Mm-hmm. Fuck. That's yeah. insane. I know. I know. We're not supposed to be talking about this, and I do appreciate that we're not supposed. But. I- uh, has anyone here seen Island of Death, the Greek film from the seventies, the most banned <gasps> film in history? I haven't, haven't seen, but I know exactly what you're yeah, talking I, about. Yeah, I'm aware. O- it's great, to the it's great movie. I really loved it. Oh, I'm the only uh, person in the film club that enjoyed it. No. I've read about it. That I uh, okay. Do I have to perform Hadakiri to get out of this podcast? Is that <laughs> is that where we are now? I'm about to. L- let us plug all of our per- shit. That's per- that's how we wrap these up. <laughs> Oh, I feel man. so responsible. It's like, like, it's like your standard Zoom through. meeting. It's just reconnecting. It never comes back. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, all man. Right, all right. Uh, so to wrap it up, I think that we've come to the consensus of the original is absolutely worth your time. Oh, yeah. It is a masterpiece of filmmaking. It's, it, would you say it's Kobayashi's best film? I would. I would. And I really love I really love Kobayashi. Um, but it is, for me, it is his best film. Uh, but I also think you should check out a companion film is Samurai Rebellion. Yes, uh, I watched that yesterday. It's fantastic. Yeah, and oh. it's really great. I don't think it's quite as good as this, but it, it's really worth watching. With, mm. with Toshiro Mifune. Mm-hmm. Yes. Him. Yeah, because we uh, yes. Seth was asking that. It's like uh, It seems like uh, uh, Kurosawa and Kobayashi share a lot of... Um, uh, they have a lot of similarities, and I said, "Well, because they work together." They share a lot yeah. of brain cells. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, they were in the same company, so they're like, "Yeah, they just share cast, they share crew." It's like everyone was kind of working together. It was this kind of like weird inbreeding of people just kind of working <laughs> together to make their their own unique films. Yeah, well, and Toshiro yeah. Mifune had his own film company at that time, so huh. there was like a lot of him. That's right. Up. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, uh, very quickly because I know we're trying to exit out of here. I did not know this until I watched the Criterion extras for Samurai Rebellion, but um, they actually had uh, Kobayashi Masaki talking to uh, the director who did Samurai Spy. I forget his name, and they were talking about how it it was well known. I mean, if you're a Japanese speaker, that Toshiro Mifune actually often mumbled his lines. It was very hard to understand, hmm. and and. And I've spent my whole life not knowing that because I only read the subtitles and have no idea how to, you know, actually hear the Japanese. Um, but apparently he was a little bit of a marble mouth. So that's interesting. Oh, wow. Hmm. Yeah. He was like a well, Brando. Also- he was like Japanese Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we, we have the Godfather, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, most of that sound was all was always, uh, was usually dubbed afterwards yeah. anyways. Yeah. 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 So. So yeah. we uh, we say that the original is definitely worth your time, and I'd say watch the remake if you're trapped on a desert island and you can't and get the, the original. That's available to you. Yeah, you, <laughs> you can't get the original. The original. Yeah. The remake's yeah. good. Yeah, I mean the remake's easier to stream unless you have a uh, Criterion that's channel. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Criterion channel is like eleven bucks a month. Yeah, I pay it. I pay it. I mean, it's it's most of their catalog. Uh, although the weird thing yeah. about Criterion channel is that. It's very 50-50. Like, there are things that you have on physical disc that aren't on there, but there's yeah. stuff on there that they don't have the physical rights to. Like, they have a yeah. bunch of Jackie Chan shit that I guarantee is not on Blu-ray or probably they won't put on Blu-ray. I call it 
now, you are never going to see Criterion Blu-ray of Fearless Hyena Part 2. Fuck yeah. that mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, that's, yes. that's, Jackie Chan wants nothing to do with that movie. That was a cut-and-paste job, but it's on the fucking Criterion channel, digitally restored and remastered. Looks great, still a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, bad. Look, Michael Bay has two films in the Criterion <laughs> Collection. They're not gods. He does. Rock and Armageddon. <laughs> I have questions. Uh. And the Armageddon logo always looks like it's off-center. I don't know why. On the DVD, on the DVD cover and the Laserdisc cover, I've seen it for years. I'm like, why, why isn't it centered? Is it supposed to represent something? I'm missing something. It look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to watch uh, "Sweet Smell of Success," you know, with Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster, and and that oh, yeah. is definitely a Criterion film in their catalog, and it was not on their channel, and I had to. It's so weird. Use other means that I will not mention here in the public forum <laughs> uh, to watch it, um, but uh, yeah. And yet HBO Max has a ton of Criterion films, which is weird. They lumped them under Turner Classic Movies. I'm like, sure, but it still has the Janus films at the front. So it's it's Criterion. (laughs) Janus Films gets the rights and Criterion puts them on disc. That's how it works. I was always always curious about how that worked, yeah. Yeah, basically Janus Films gets the rights and then from that point on, uh, they can do like theatrical showings and then Criterion puts them on physical disc. Um, That was actually how people first found out about them uh, getting Police Story because it popped up on the Janus Films website and then like within the month they announced the Blu-ray release and that it was going to be uh, playing in theaters as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's actual... always like a nice way to check. But then, I, I, like very frequently, I've had to tell people on like the Blu-ray.com forums, they'll they'll see films on Criterion Channel, like, oh, all these movies are going to be on Blu-ray soon because they're on the Criterion Channel. It's like that's not that's not how yeah. it works. Yeah, exactly. There's movies that have been there for since the channel started that are still not on Blu-ray and probably aren't going to happen because they'll be on the yeah. Criterion Channel, but they aren't on the Janus Films website. And so then what about their Eclipse really weird. imprint? Does their Eclipse imprint do Blu-ray? As well, I believe so. I the the, yeah. the clips thing is a little weird. It's it's like a subs, it's like whatever they yeah whatever they can't afford or don't want to put extra yeah. effort extras it, and all that stuff. Yeah. It's like a different label. It's it's like they do more box sets than anything else. And even then, like you said, it's not much in the way of extras. But they yeah, yeah. they lump them in the Criterion sale of Barnes and Noble. So that's that's all I got. <laughs> so awesome. Mm. Uh, so it seems like we're wrapping it up, guys. We're uh, yes. we're here at the end of the episode. Uh, it, it, I appreciate you coming on, Josh. I know you're very busy right now. You've got a lot of stuff you're working on. I appreciate you taking the time for this. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. Um, I, I yeah. just noticing that on my audacity, I might keep peeking into the red. So good luck editing. We'll fix this. it. But um, oh no, I can uh, do this. No problem. <laughs> yeah, no, this was super, super fun. I don't really do anything. I'm not really busy. I just don't like to do. That's <laughs> what I do things. I'm just lazy. You don't like, like to do things. It's totally but me. This, yeah, yeah, exactly. But this was super fun. I really appreciate you guys yeah. having me. I hope I didn't, you know, talk over anybody or anything. Uh, I want to ask you a question, but I know it's going to make you angry. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's the best kind of question. Oh boy. <laughs> So for season four finale of Film Rescue, okay, will you come back to fix the Dark Knight Rises? Oh man! Is it, uh, is that, ask of a man. Is that a? It really is. I remember you putting out that article on your website, and you were just like, "Fuck this fucking movie!" I was and I'm just, so angry when I walked out of that movie, and I didn't like any of the Batman's really, but that was like a whole yeah. Thing. 
I'm I'm so glad somebody else hated it when it came out too, because I felt like I was alone yeah. in that impression. <laughs> I don't think I've ever like audibly groaned as much <laughs> in a theater in my life. Yeah. I feel really bad because I know people were enjoying the film and I liked it. Like I it was really exciting when Seth was like, "Oh, I like this movie." You know, when we're talking <laughs> about the remake. I, I like it when people like movies. I don't want to impose my opinion on anybody, but I was so audibly in pain. <laughs> I was just suffering. Oh, my God. I don't know. Yeah. I have to think about it. I have to think about it. Can't we talk about something we love? We just can't we talk. Let's talk about Hong Kong films next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. You're welcome back to if you want. Like, this originally was going to be a palate cleanser episode. And True. I said, you know, let's talk right. about how to carry. But you were like, I really want to talk about the remake. I was like, okay, it's a split the difference episode. <laughs> I I know, you know, uh, forgive me for. Yeah, I know that you guys have a format. I appreciate that. But how could I not mention the remake? Right. I, mean, I didn't know how are we going to fill hey, it out. It works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. we've got, we have five. Five separate shows going at this point. Aaron's got Palette Cleanser, where we talk about good movies. I've got Split the Difference, where we talk about the original and the remake. Film Rescue, we talk about garbage, and we try to fix it. Uh, we have the games episode, where we do some very odd and out there kinds of games. And then Aaron also has the gavel, where she has her... Um, what? What? Aaron, can you explain that It's one? our homebrew Pathfinder game, if you're like a D20 nerd. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah, well, back in the day, it's been a while. Unfortunately, I, I miss role playing games drastically. But, I I uh, love it. Awesome. That sounds great. Well, that sounded like all the plugs, Jesse. Yeah. Hey. Oh, there we go. Oh well, well for, for the podcast. There you go. Uh, Seth, you want you want to plug the Patreon real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, so we put all of these shows out together. Like Jesse was saying, we get awesome guests on, like Josh, like you're listening to right now. If you're listening to this on Patreon, likely you're hearing this early, and that's because you paid for that right. For $1 on patreon.com slash Media, you get early access, uh, unreleased episodes, behind-the-scenes stuff on our short films and YouTube stuff, uh, just like all of the... The, our centralized home for everything, us, and early. Uh, you can go to Montrester Media on Patreon, Patreon.com to get access to all of that. Fantastic. That sounds like all the plugs. Uh, Josh, do you have anything you want to plug real quick? We, anything that's coming out pretty soon? We should. If you guys ever want to talk about King Who, I will I will walk across glass to sing, to sing <laughs> praises but the greatest <laughs> filmmaker in the history of the medium, King Who. But that's not a plug. I'm woefully behind on my King Who. Oh, my God. I'll educate. I'll educate all of y'all. All of you can come to my house. We'll all quarantine together. And we'll watch <laughs> um, I mean, we, we can do we can do watch parties. It's not a problem. <laughs> I, uh, uh, oh, to, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Speaking of which, we do have a watch party coming up this Friday. And what are we talking? What are we watching? Uh, by the time this episode's out, I don't know if they're gonna be able to join that watch party. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, you'll need yeah. a time well, travel we're watching machine. Bill and Ted's, we're watching Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey because we need to watch something that's upbeat and positive, nice. considering the state yes. of the world. Truth. Well, watch about my butt. That's, the, what that says. that's a good opportunity to say. Butt. Every Friday on the Discord, we have a watch party and watch some kind of movie, whether or not it's related to a podcast. We get together at 9 Eastern to watch a movie together. Yes. 9 Eastern on Discord. Uh, awesome. Yes. And then, okay, my quick my quick plug. Uh, the I can't plug anything coming up because we didn't get to announce anything because of the COVID lockdown, but there's a lot of stuff coming up. But my last graphic novel was called Goodnight Paradise. Uh, it's a, about a murder that takes place in the houseless community in Venice Beach, California, 
I lived in Venice for 20 years and worked very closely with the homeless there. And it's all based on my experiences living in that community and um, being a part of that community. And I'm really proud of it. So Good Night Paradise by Joshua Dunsett. Check it out. Art by Alberto Ponticelli. Colors by really Julia Brusco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Mm-hmm. For, uh, you can, and I have read it. It's fantastic. Nice. You can read the first chapter for free at tkopresents.com. As well as other first chapters of other great books. Not as good mm. as mine, but lots of other great books. <laughs> I, I love that, that energy. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I, lo- I love TKO's uh, process of how they distribute their books. They don't even go through Diamond. They just go right from the publishing house to the distributors. They don't even go through Diamond. I just huh. love that. It has, it has saved me. during. You know, the two publishers that I am giving most of my time to now both are using alternative means of distribution. And, uh, you know, fortunately, and I feel bad talking about this because so many people have had unfortunate times uh, recently, but with Diamond shutting their doors for a little while and then the pencils down order across my industry, comic books, uh, I, I managed to keep working through it all. So wow. for once in my life, I, you know, it was nice to be with the little independent publishers and doing my own thing. So it's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. yeah. One other thing of yours that finally did just come out, real quick, is uh, your your final work from Valiant, which is your little Exo Man of War story that finally got released. Yes, with Doug Braithwaite on art. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, little tiny one shot story of Exo Man. I love Exo. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, we. Uh, yeah. You know, this story I wrote this like uh, like five or six years ago. I don't even remember when. And um, uh, but we they finally pulled it out of the drawer and got Doug to draw. And the whole point was always written for Doug. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't meant to be like a substantial story or very meaty. It was all just so that Doug could draw one cool page after another. Mm. I think it turned out really beautiful. Nice. So it's nice to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a fantastic little one shot. It's free. Yes, and it's free. It's free. Yeah, it's free. Read it. Yeah. It's free. I don't know where you go to get it, but it's out there. Uh, it, I think it got compiled into the uh, Valiant Year of Heroes uh, one shot that came out with a little bloodshot one, a little, little tiny like ten page bloodshot one shot. Hmm. Year of Heroes. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. That's what they're calling Sounds it. Awesome. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Yeah. We need a year. Of All heroes. right, so we're wrapping. Yeah. 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 So we're wrapping it up here to the end, and I'm going to announce the next episode. The next episode we're going to be watching. Zero Hour versus Airplane. <laughs> awesome. Nice. Yes, Airplane is a remake, yes. believe it or not. It, that is an interesting story of how that came to be. So uh, so I think we're going to go ahead and do our sign-offs now. Uh, thank you, everybody, for jumping on tonight. I appreciate it. It's a Wednesday. We usually do these on a Saturday. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Oh, thanks. Was that yep. for me? That's nice. Well, Everybody should sign off. Bye. <laughs> oh, yeah. Bye. Yes. Uh, he said everybody should sign off. So I said do we have sign offs? Should I? Do I need to write a sign off? <laughs> Maybe now you do, Seth. Once upon a time, not it long ago, I was no. a hoe, <laughs> and I'm admitting no, it. Oh, Aaron. Oh no. Nice. Oh, thank you guys. I appreciate it. And we will see you all in the next episode. Have a good night.